Welcome to the Swedish Innovation Podcast, where we export Swedish unicorness. No buzzwords, just real life stories with Sweden's most innovative thinkers and doers. A podcast made by me, Sandra Bourbon. And me, Sara Hermansson. In this episode, we will talk to Charlotte Nilsson, who is the COO of Paradox Interactive and also the board member of Nordnet and of uh, Industrifonden. So she sits on several chairs and has several perspectives on innovation. It's going to be very interesting to hear how the gaming industry is working with innovation compared to more regular industries. Let's get started and get to know Charlotte Nilsson. Hi, Charlotte Nilsson, and welcome to Swedish Innovation Podcast. Hi, Sara, and I'm delighted to be here. I'm very happy too. And this is actually one of the first live recordings we do in our podcast. There's been pandemics and travels and everything. and Yeah, it's now, always a first. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm so happy to see a face <laughs> that is real while recording. It feels super good. So yes. this will be nice. So as I mentioned previously, you're the board member of Nordnet and Industrifonden, which invests in startups in Sweden. And also you're the CEO at Paradox Interactive, a gaming company. We will go more into those later on in this episode. But first, I want to take us back for, like when you were a child and, and understand where do you, your drive and interests in innovation comes from. So maybe like who were you when you were 10 years old? What, what did you do? So I was all into horses oh. uh, and horseback riding. Uh, but I would say that it's, uh, I w- have always been curious about how things work and how interaction works between uh, people and uh, of course horses, uh, since I focused on that. So, but in general, very curious, but uh, it's a very good question you asked. So. Yeah, but I heard that uh, horse... Uh, people who are girls usually they get a lot of good entrepreneurship because it's so much to do besides the sport you have mm. to take care of the horses the stable the people so you kind of when you're 13 14 years old it's kind of like running a business with all those stuff i don't know if you uh, recognize it's, yeah i think you have some uh, uh, something there absolutely uh, i think there is so many things i learned through my time handling horses and uh, you you are always faced with a lot of problems and you have to deal with them. So I, I think it's a good training yeah, uh, and also a good uh, leadership training, I would mm-hmm. say, because you need to sort of own your communication. Uh, and if you uh, if you fail in your communication, nothing will happen or it will not go the, the way you want, etc. And of course, it's not only the interaction with horses, it's also when you uh, uh, training others and you interact with other people, you uh, have uh, competition and uh, things like that. So uh, I think it's very good uh, training, but there is a lot of sports and, and uh, things you can do. Uh, but uh, I think the curiosity and also together with uh, this environment has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Nice. And what do you think led you into working with innovation and startups and entrepreneurship it was i guess not only the horses uh, it was no. something when you were older maybe? Uh, so i think uh, it's not been this is my path in life and i this is what i am going to do so i would say that there is a lot uh, luck 
there is opportunities open up and uh, trying them out. Uh, so curiosity, again, I think, is the, the motivation to take something that you've not seen before or tried before, etc. And of course, it helps when you uh, find the technology, math and things like that easy. So, of course, that, that helps, of course. But the, the curiosity to take a step into a new direction uh, is, uh, I think, the, the core part. Mm-hmm. And now working at Paradox, which is very famous for their games and uh, a very, I would say, um, renowned company within the gaming industry. Uh, did you play a lot of video games and uh, computer games as a kid or is this come later? So I, I played, uh, but I would not say played a lot. Mm. Uh, I think that's more uh, with time. Uh, I played the games that were available uh, at that time uh, mm-hmm. and of course board game and uh, role playing games, etc. Uh, so I like the idea of uh, having open worlds uh, and uh, ex- exploring uh, different scenarios, etc. So I, I think uh, the type of games uh, we do here at Paradox, uh, the strategy games and also the management games, where you have a fairly open world, it's a simulation and you make choices and uh, it can go bad, it can go well, uh, is fantastic. Uh, I think that uh, is uh, true entertainment. If you consider watching a video or uh, reading a book, they usually end the same way. Uh, But with a game, you can actually have a new experience the next time you use them. So I think it's really, Mm. really fantastic. Interesting. So if you would describe Paradox Interactive for someone who hasn't heard of it before, what do you do? What's your elevator pitch? Uh, so we do uh, what's called grand strategy games. Mm-hmm. It's uh, strategy games that are more like a simulation of time, for example, a time period in history. Uh, and we try to have it also as accurate as possible. But you make the choices and uh, things happen. So you can be a ruler uh, throughout 200 years and uh, try your luck in, <laughs> in that. And it's a fantastic experience. I would say that uh, the, the pitch for the company is that we, we make the games and uh, you create the stories. Mm. Uh, so the, the stories will always be our players, our fans, uh, and uh, we, we can just support them with tools to, to explore their own journeys. And, mm. and who is a typical player? Uh, I would say that uh, we have a, a fairly large span uh, of people. Uh, w- with our games, uh, they uh, sometimes come across as complex. So it's not always the, the youngest that uh, fancy our game, but of course we have young players. Uh, we get fan mail. It's really uh, heartwarming to read mm. when people uh, love our game. But uh, it's uh, fairly complex and you can... Uh, interact with so many parameters so sometimes it can be overwhelming uh, so uh, I would say that many strategy player in general they, they sort of when they want to level up they, they come to our games mm-hmm. so. so this is like um, maybe not where you start if you never played games before this is uh, a bit of the the more um, how to say um, advanced games could you put it that way yeah yes you can put it that way the so. opposite to Candy Crush 
Ah, opposite to Candy Crush. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good, it's good way. Yeah. It gets so candy when you get tired also. of Candy Crush, welcome over. Yeah. <laughs> so in Sweden we have both, right? Mm. The the most simple games and the most advanced ones. Mm. Yes. And Paradox is it the Swedish company from the beginning? Yes. Right? It yeah. is. And it is. and what's the history behind it? Do you know why? Why did it start? And uh, what oh, that's a that's a long story. We can uh, spend a lot of time on that. But uh, Paradox started quite some time ago uh, and was. Uh, a branch of another company and was sold uh, for a small amount and uh, then uh, kickstarted on its own. And uh, it's uh, lately been also on the stock exchange. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would say that most people recognize Paradox since we uh, got listed. Uh, so I see. And what mm-hmm. is your like most popular game or most famous game that people might recognize? So uh, people might uh, recognize Crusader Kings uh, 3 that we released uh, uh, 2020 and uh, another of our games is uh, City Skylines building cities, trying out uh, your own design and Mm -hmm. uh, balancing uh, tax versus new hospitals etc. So uh, it's also a very lovely game do you have a personal favorite or do you play any games uh? Uh, so my personal uh, favorite is actually magica it's an old uh, paradox game so mm. i find that really sweet cool and i mean you both uh sitting as a board member in industry fund then yes which at least my impression is that okay they invest in startups and companies uh different uh, in different areas in sweden yes. But it feels a bit more, how to say, type of old-fashioned industry um, businesses. And Paradox feels a bit like the opposite when it comes to like culture and way of working. I mean, what would you say is the difference, or is it a difference, between how you work here at the gaming company compared to the more industry classic companies in Sweden? So, of course, there is differences. N- now, of course, everyone at the industry fund would uh, disagree with you. Uh, this, uh, this <laughs> sorry, <reason>. sorry. <laughs> uh, because, of course, there is happening a lot and we invest in fairly young companies in industry fund. And from that perspective, they also have a lot of uh, new way of thinking, new way of working, etc. So I would say that uh, industry f- fund follows uh, to a high extent uh, the uh, the way of working, etc., that we see in uh, many new companies. Uh, I, I think in general that the games industry differs from the traditional industry when it comes to the, the, sort of the simple purpose. In a traditional tech company, you would have a customer with a problem and uh, you are assigned to solve that problem to as low price as possible. But when it comes to the games industry, <clears throat> You actually create a problem for the customer to solve. And you uh, have to do that uh, as good as possible because you you also want the customer to pay for it. Not only solve the problem, but also (laughs) pay to to have the chance to solve the problem. So from that uh, perspective, there is a dedication on uh, the game, uh, the, the player experience to another level than I'm used to see in other companies. Of course, there is a lot of focus on the customer, but uh, the dedication here, you could not find anyone in in the company that are not interested in how the the game develop and sort of how the player perceive our games, etc. So that that is something that we talk about everywhere. 
uh, not sometimes, it's every time. Uh, and uh, I think that <clears throat> obsession about our players, uh, I think uh, is on another level uh, than compared to maybe other industries that there is a lot of other things to, to deal with. Um, so if you think that someone has a problem, they, they need to solve it. Either it's good or bad, and they still need to solve it. So if you need, you need to eat every day, you go for lunch, even if you find a place that is not to the standard you want, to have, but you still eat. Uh, but a game, you don't need to have that. Uh, so it, it has to be good. So I, I think that uh, makes a little bit different uh, type of problem. <clears throat> so from that perspective, uh, the dedication around making fantastic games is here. But as many people we are in the company, as many the opinions what a good game is. So it's not an, even though everyone is extremely passionate about what we're going to do and it need to be great, the, what that is, is different for different people. So there is a lot of debates and disagreements and uh, uh, endless discussions around this. But I, I think that foster a very interesting culture when it also comes to innovation because well, in the end, it will be our players that decide if it's a good game or not. Mm. And how can we work with that? So from an innovation point of view, I think from other companies' perspective, there is a lot to learn from the games industry when it comes to this dedication and all the, the ways and methods used to actually try out new ideas and how to, how to build on that. Do you have any like concrete good example of how we actually get that in? Because yes, I've been at companies where we always talk about customer first and we do customer visits and try to, but I still find it very difficult to still like bring, how to say, the customer inside the walls yeah. and actually get the full customer or player perspective. Yeah. And here you talk a lot about how the player is in focus. Like, how do you involve players? Like, are the employees players or do you bring the players in on the board meeting or how do you do? Yeah, so I would say that we we talk about uh, our player being sort of uh, the, the judge if we have done a good job or not. And uh, the, the player should love our game and want to buy them. That's sort of the, how we want to measure. And, and it's really hard early phases. It's it, good to, to have a reference here is that it takes quite some time to make a game. Uh, three, how much time? Three to five years. Wow. Uh, so it's not uh, a quick fix and then it's done. So it's a lot of hard work. And usually the, the time is more connected to trying out ideas. Uh, so you, it's a very iterative uh, approach. But we also have... Um, uh, we talk about players and we talk about fans and then we talk about employees. Usually our employees play our games and uh, a majority of them are also fans. So we have a lot of employees coming here from around the globe just to work for us for these games because they love those games. So. Uh, I'm not sure that so many other companies have that situation where someone said, I, I, I really love this product and, and I want to make it even better. Uh, so I think that that is a passion that is fantastic in this industry. So it's not only for us, but for, for this industry. But it's also giving you a good perspective on what is the journey and what is the experience. And uh, when we talk about innovation, it's... Uh, it's easy an iteration of something you had before. 
uh, in normal companies, uh, but going back truly to what uh, the customer or in this case then player really want. What is the journey? Is it a scary? Is it excitement? Is, is it explorer? So talking and using words to try to put the finger on what, what should be the experience throughout. And uh, also sort of having that close to heart. Because as you know, and uh, the, it's really hard to ask customers, what do you want? We will just fix it if you just tell us. Uh, then you have uh, really hard to surprise in a positive way. Uh, so I think Ford said something about if I would ask my customer, they, they would go for faster horses instead of thinking that it might be something else. So the, the bridge over to something new and try that need to be that you yourself have a feeling, okay, this has developed, they appreciate this and what is the next. But there is a lot of method and tools. So of course, first we, we try to nail a vision for, for a game and work with, okay, what should be the journey? Should it be uh, in what kind of surrounding, etc. So it's uh, tried out internally. Mm. We have, uh, uh, sometimes we fairly early also try, especially if we want to do something fairly new, we, we try it. We have a lot of user research. Uh, and uh, we also look at other games and try to see uh, what kind of reading can we do of other games. Can we sort of learn something someone else has done? And in this industry, we we don't necessarily see each other as competitors. Uh, so there is a lot of sharing in this kind, uh, industry. Uh, I think that's also something that's very good for innovation, that you're sharing your experience, etc. In the end, you never know what someone would like or not uh, until you, you release your, your game. Uh, besides user research, we have a lot of peer reviewing where we use other smart people that are working on other games to, to look into it. Will this uh, meet our uh, standards, our plans? And of course, we have a, a development model and follow that. And uh, I would say that the, this constant feedback loop and interaction is the, the biggest thing I would say compared to many other industries where you say okay this is this is a requirement spec and this is what we're going to solve and in the end it need to look nice or be very useful uh, or if it's an interface or something. Meanwhile here we start with the interface. It's a little bit uh, closer to design thinking where you try to really uh, focus on the the problem or what do we want to achieve and then you, you solve everything afterwards. Mm. But these iterations that we do sometimes make drastic changes. So it's not a, a smooth development process. So it's close to a crisis from start to end. And uh, I think most of the one uh, developing games uh, have the feeling that this will never work a few times throughout the process. And uh, it's... Um, it's like heaven and hell for creative people because it's fantastic you can show it and in the same time you get extremely vulnerable as well. So this iterative and also taking in this customer or player perspective early in the process I think that's uh, the, the key learning. And I need to ask here because I'm trying to picture myself like when I was a design engineer and you had design reviews yeah. and a lot of people came and they were trying to you know find problems with your design 
uh, as you say, you're so vulnerable and mm. all the feedback, you try to not take it personal, but mm. you know how many hours you put into that and you know that you try to think of everything. Yeah. And like, do people really dare to give their colleagues straight up feedback? Like this game is terrible. It will never hit the market. Or I mean, how how do you get that peer review to work? Because I guess it's, as you say, uh, very difficult. It, it is really hard. And uh, but we, we try to have a mantra where we say that we want to make people better. Uh, and you can if you are too nice, people will not grow. And if you are too hard, people will not grow either. You, you need to have this right balance of challenging sort of have you seen this perspective or can you sort of add this or but in the same time you need to do it in a polite uh, way uh, so but it is hard I, I think I can see we we have situation where we end up people being too hard on things and others trying to be just nice because they know how hard it is to take the feedback I think there is also where the the user uh, research where we have players coming in uh, they sign agreements, so they play our games in a very early phase. Uh, and not only do we l- listen to what they have to say, we also look at how they play. Mm. And I think that's something that I- in uh, some other industries also used, where instead of, of trying to say what is good or bad, give the product to, to a customer and let's see if they figure out how to install the router or wh- what it can mm. be and, and see just where where do they struggle? Where do they not get it? Mm. Uh, so from that perspective, I think that interaction and uh, looking for, because as you said, everyone can have an opinion. I like green better than blue, but that's not necessarily the, the thing. Mm, I see. No, I, I, I understand what you mean. And I, I'm thinking it must also be a dream for the ones who like your games to come here and get the chance to try out the game. Uh, I, I, I'm just guessing that uh, it must be a popular thing. Or how do you find people? So people can out? sign up on our webpage uh, mm. as long as they are over 18. Uh, so there is a chance for yeah. all, all of you <laughs> listening. Um, no, so that's... Uh, but the trick is how do you find a representative group? I think that's... Uh, because we can have 10 people loving our game and then would they represent all the, the rest? Average player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. And also, you said you had to be over eighteen. I'm guessing not all players you have out there is over eighteen. Right. Mm, that's correct. So that's correct. That might be tricky. I know Lego had uh, a while ago uh, ad at LinkedIn where they looked for kids. Obviously, they looked for parents, kids on LinkedIn. (laughs) But they looked for for parents with kids around four years old to try out their products. And I just thought, wow, this must be the most fun thing ever to to get them like here, play it. And I guess then they do the same as you are doing. They record how they use the product. They don't ask the actual kid what they thought about it. One get really passionate when you see people using our game in new ways than we thought it mm. was possible uh, in as I said we, we try to create a problem and uh, what that what happened after that uh, might be something completely new compared to what we thought this might be funny to do uh, and then something else is happening so I, I think that's uh, some of the 
lovely part with this industry that it's uh, in many aspects a very open world. It allows you as a player to be creative. Uh, so it's more to give you a tool to express yourself and try out things for, for you. Uh, so it's in that sense, it's very rewarding. Mm. Cool. We had a previous episode before uh, with um, um, Kurt Masler, who wrote the book Open Strategy. Mm. And he talked a lot about innovation culture. And one thing he said that really is still stuck in my mind, he said, so the reason why startups are innovative and fast forward moving and they come up with new ways of doing things, even though it's not the core business, is because they don't have any money because they're so yes. lean. And I just want to ask here at Paradox, you have a super nice office. I really like it. But do you try to keep it lean or how do you think it's true? Uh, I think it's. I think it's really, really true. Uh, I think that, that is one of the, the benefits where people are more successful, maybe students coming together, wanting to do something, because you are then forced to take the hard decision early on. Uh, so uh, as soon as you have money, many uh, bigger corporate, uh, and now also we, there is so easy to say, mm, maybe not right now, but let's wait let's put in more money and let's see so not only would that be a way to waste money and that you put in uh, money and you continue to develop something that is not necessarily going in the right direction the the more dangerous thing especially if you're on a competing market is that you lose time so it's a very expensive uh, way to get sort of uh, later in the in the competition where other can go ahead of you. So having little money or being sort of a scarce resource is usually a very good way to make the right decision early on. And you also need to come up with smarter way to do things. Uh, if as every time you can sort of buy your way around something, you most people are to some level a little bit lazy and yeah, we just solve it this way. Uh, but when you're really put to a, to a position also where you you have to come up with something, you usually come up with sort of really genius ideas. So it is a problem. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I'm not sure if that's so visible uh, in our daily business, uh, but uh, I can absolutely see how the innovation can uh, get hold back by uh, a feeling of there is money and we, we don't have to take mm. those decisions. Uh, another thing I think is worth thinking of when we talk about uh, innovation and maybe more traditional companies is that um, uh, to innovate from a white paper, uh, it's close to impossible. So hanging with uh, support organization, really going where there might be problem is like a uh, it's a source of uh, potential new solutions, products, better services, etc. Uh, and uh, I've not always seen so many initiatives when it comes to innovation closer to support and the people sort of handling when people run into struggles, uh, where I think there is uh, a huge potential that is not uh, released. It's not only taking care of the customer. Actually, you could improve your product or service that you have by listening to what struggle they have. Mm -hmm. 
uh, do you see that <clears throat> maybe not only in Paradox, but I, I mean, you get insight in a lot of companies through your board membership, mm. both Nordnet and Industry mm. Fund. And I mean, is the maybe sometimes also I feel support organizations are a bit put aside in the organization, sometimes even outsourced. So the employees answering a phone when a customer calls in isn't really even an employee of the original company. Mm. Should should that be more uh, closer to the core? Yeah, think, I, I think actually they are missing out. I, I think many of the successful companies, they own that. Uh, uh, and do something with it uh, to another level. Uh, it's also interesting to see that many of the very innovative companies don't send out surveys to their customer. They try to find it anyway. That's also very interesting to, to reflect upon after answering endless of surveys <laughs> of things. Uh, but the, the truly innovative are uh, finding other ways. Uh, and I think there is a little bit of a missed opportunity when it comes to using support and that to, uh, to feed in ideas what can be maybe changed. And maybe uh, I, I like to come back to this. Uh, everyone is talking about the Kodak moment, but... Uh, one of my perspectives of that is that they had as a company goal to become the, uh, or sorry, to make the best camera in the world. But if you truly drill down on what is the company, no, sorry, the customer's need, it's actually to uh, to capture the moment and share with friends. So what they were talking about is only solving half of a customer need. And back in the days, that might be what was reasonable to do uh, from a technology point of view, uh, that you you could only capture and sort of get uh, photos in that uh, way. That was as good as it got. But if you lose track on the real problem you're solving, you can easily just make a better version of the solution you already have chosen. And that's not innovation. That's why it's so easy to get disrupted. People suddenly accepted way worse uh, quality of their picture, but it was easy to share with friends and suddenly you could do something different. And to have that focus on what is the real customer problem you're going to solve, uh, I think sometimes get a little bit lost uh, because it's, oh, we need to do it faster. It needs to be lighter. It needs to be smarter, but not having focus on the what is it that we are going to solve and uh, with that also one thing is that technology can catch up like with uh, we talked about Kodak uh, and that for example mobile phones uh, would offer something that actually solved the problem better from the customer perspective but there is also the situation where the customer need change over time uh, things that was uh, super important before might just vanish as a need because they have some other tools or get a solution from another area as well. So having the focus on what kind of purpose uh, and the why, why is the company existing, what is the purpose and what is the the solution or sort of the problem that you want to offer a solution for and follow that for very closely. So, so going back, and I think that coming back to how we make games or, or how other develop products, I think it's super important to always come back to uh, what is the purpose with it. Sometimes you end up to have an overcomplicated technical product for something that's maybe not needed anymore. Mm. So 
Uh, and I guess the gaming industry needs to develop develop and change all the time because uh, I mean both the platform but also the say um, you need to be continuously fun you can yeah. just make it a bit it's it's really hard to come with a copy of something already existing yeah. and try to to uh, sort of uh, rock the world uh, so of course it needs to be innovative mm-hmm. and uh, as you mentioned that's maybe not uh, visible for everyone uh, listening is that the, the games industry market or ecosystem, it's uh, fairly complex. It's many different partners in this. We talk about uh, uh, consoles, where, sort of what platform are you on? We talk about the access for a game. We talk about uh, what type of game is it? We talk about uh, sort of the, the player experience and playing alone or playing together. There, there are so many different things. And why this has become a sort of a Klondike is that many people see that, oh my God, <laughs> what if we took over everything? Uh, because everything is sort of like moving parts in this ecosystem. So the business model is changing and people are trying many different things. So so many, many things are changing in the same time. So it makes it, of course, uh, harder, but it's also very attractive for many actors. So you've seen Microsoft going in and doing a fairly large investment. So the big player uh, are stepping in here and there is a really clear consolidation where the big player are putting a lot of uh, money. Do you think there are any Kodak companies in the gaming industry or have there been any that's not going to come back? Uh, Hard question. I think gaming uh, or games industry is a hit business Uh, and uh, also to be clear to separate from gambling that's Mm. sort of completely different business because they usually have the same product they just have the different sort of Uh, confetti on top of it Uh, but uh, in the games industry uh, I would say it's a hit business meaning that even though you have the best people uh, you have the best ideas you might fail because the the timing when you come out with something is not right they have something else to play Uh, there might be that someone uh, sort of come with something similar before you Mm. or it might be that uh, the couldn't even notice your product mm. because it's fairly uh, uh, high competition uh, mm. of, of what's available out there. Uh, so uh, I would not say it's a clear Kodak moment because they knew things were coming uh, and they went for the money. It's, that's an easy choice for, for most of us. Uh, but uh, I would say that in this hit industry, it's really, really hard when you fail to figure out why did you fail and sort of how do you make that to a smart learning so you can be successful next time. And um, it, I would not say it's the same as the, the Kodak uh, moment no, like that. I see. Mm. But do you think, I mean, you have insights in a lot of other businesses and yeah. industries and I sometimes have lectures at KTH regarding, mm. I mean, um, more like disruptive technology and those type of things. And then my final question to the students is usually what company today do you think will rename the Kodak moment? Ah, that's a good one. And do you have, do you think uh, there are any today that is probably not going to be there around 20 years? Um, Very hard question. Uh, I have no good suggestion at the moment, but I would say that groups of companies being in the risk zone is of course uh, 
uh, for example, banks, the, the old traditional banks. Uh, that, that's not maybe a surprise for, for people that they have a, a big risk where niche banks are taking uh, very important steps. Um, and it's more, uh, not necessarily the, the Kodak moment, more that they have got uh, constraints when it comes to the legacy of their software and the system and uh, we also have a lot of regulations etc so I think some of the uh, companies that been with us for quite some time uh, if they don't challenge themselves uh, and try to really think what they can offer the customer instead of saying we have this well, <laughs> who wants it so really understand what, what problem to solve uh, and I think more or less every company can do that switch, but it's really, really hard. And I would say it's really, really hard because throughout the journey of uh, a development of a new idea or a new company, initially you have the, the crazy one that uh, sort of uh, maybe don't think so much of what if it go wrong. It's more think at what if. Uh, and uh, they bring a lot of energy in. Uh, we see a number of small companies also failing, but we don't talk about them. We talk about the, the one that's successful. So it's not that they're always successful. But then when they need to grow their business, they need to have more logistics. They need to have more planning. They need to scale up very quickly. They need to do this or that. And suddenly they need other type of people. Uh, that can manage all that because suddenly there is a lot of people and they need to do this or that. Uh, and with that growth, uh, they also change the culture in the company because there is other people there. And uh, when you also come into a phase where the, the company get more mature uh, and maybe the sales is not going up anymore, you need to find smart way to cut cost and you need to be more efficient and things. It's again different things you talk about. It's not how do we get the customer super excited anymore. It's how can we cut cost. So it's a completely different question. And if you get the focus around that, of course, you get another culture. So usually when a, a, a company come closer to the mature uh, area, you have another culture in the company compared to, for example, a startup. Uh, and it's really, really hard to get uh, in an environment where people would like to avoid risk to get sort of the crazy ones in again uh, and sort of, yes, we go for this. It will be fantastic. So there is a really, really hard step to take. Some are really good at it. Uh, others uh, do a dramatic step and buy other companies. That's also a way to uh, find a way to evolve. Uh, but uh, I think yeah, I think actually the, the acquiring of other companies is the method some of these uh, and fairly successful, I would say. Uh, how you can become a fellow big player into a new industry or something. Uh, and uh, I think uh, games industry is uh, very visible where Apple and uh, Microsoft and others have stepped in and uh, acquired a lot of uh, companies here. Interesting. I'm thinking this uh, thing to create Compass, that would be a fun game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah. you know start up then up they, then they grow yeah. they become fat how do you I would guess there is one already oh, so. yeah. <laughs> I got excited probably. I wanted to play probably. one <laughs> well uh, it's the final question for you now what would be your top tip to our listeners out there when it comes to I mean working with innovation in your companies and uh, getting new ideas uh, so final tip uh, probably be very passionate about the, the customer 
and not just the customer, but also the customer problem uh, and uh, try to live with it, the, the problem, not solve it directly, but live with it and try to understand if there is another problem behind it. I think that's a great uh, advice, definitely. Well, it's been uh, super fun to get to talk to you and get an insight in the gaming industry. To be honest, I'm not playing games at all myself. Yeah, but you I, will start now. <laughs> I, I will definitely start. I get very curious about the games you told me about. So I will look into this more for sure. And uh, all the best of luck to, to you. And thank you. And company. thank you for having me on the, your pod. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you like what we're doing, remember to subscribe. And if you really like our podcast, don't forget to give us a five-star rating. Remember, innovation is what makes the impossible possible, and it will all start with you.